I would like for you, if you will, to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, is what was read this morning. And I want you to think about what he is saying here. Jesus' heart is very, very weary at this particular time. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want you to notice, starting with verse 36, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tear ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further, or farther, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. We have studied this passage many times throughout the years, especially since I have been here. We talked about this just a little bit last week in our, our ending of the series of our ABCs of Christianity when we were talking about zeal. But I want you to pay close attention to verse 39 in that phrase, and he went a little farther. When I went back to read that passage one more time, that was something that just kind of came up at me that said there's something about that that we can expound on a little bit further just like Jesus who then went a little farther you see this particular phrase very much exemplifies the life of Christ, doesn't it? And so the title of our message this morning is Christianity is the religion of the second mile or the extra mile, going the extra mile. No doubt you bring to recall Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus had stated in verse 41 when he said, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. To go the second mile, to go the extra mile, if you will. I want to follow Jesus in every area of his life. I know you do too as well. But I know that he is our perfect example with regard to suffering as well, 1 Peter 2.21. He left us an example really to follow in every area of our lives. When we think about the religion of Christ Jesus, we think about that which is named for him, Christianity. It really is a religion of the second mile. Neither are established by the fact that Jesus always went a little further, a little farther, 
over and over again as you study the Sermon on the Mount, you're reminded that Jesus would say something like this. You have heard it has been said, but I say unto you. You can rest your laurels on what has always been said before. What might be the traditions. But from this point on, I want you to get the message. But I say unto you, get it right. Jesus was establishing his authority even over those Old Testament prophets. And his authority over any of the traditions that had been passed down by the fathers of these Jews to whom he spoke. And here, here's what you heard that has been said, but I say this unto you. You know, Jesus had not studied the, any special schools of religion. His authority came from his father, almighty Jehovah God in heaven. His authority was vested in himself. And when he came from heaven, he would then return to heaven. And so everything he said carried the weight of heaven itself behind it. And so when this great sermon that is recorded in Matthew's cha Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount it always would come to this conclusion that the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority not as the scribes. You know, it's interesting to me that as I studied the Sermon on the Mount and then I think about Jesus in Gethsemane then going a little farther indeed we find that he went farther than the law of Moses. That's number one. He went farther than the law of Moses. Because Jesus very much had concentrated his attention. Not just upon the legal aspects of the law. But the motive that was behind such. You see Jesus was interested in the heart. Certain attitudes of heart are very very pleasing to him if you will now we know this that Jesus always maintained the proper attitude and more than anything else he's interested in making sure that he changes us from the inside out from the heart out and that means he's concerned about the heart of man isn't it isn't he? In fact, throughout our lives, we are constantly under obligation to tune our hearts in accordance with what Jesus has revealed. Now, as we think about Jesus going a little farther and particularly a little farther than the law of Moses, go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. And I want you to notice starting with verse 21, but to think about that with regard to Jesus and his definition of murder itself. Starting with verse 21 in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, 
thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. What is Jesus stating here? Honestly, we, we know that murder would be the taking of innocent life, wouldn't it? That's condemned repeatedly in the scriptures. But Jesus wants to bring to our attention exactly where that starts. Where it starts. You see, a person who would take the life of another, someone who would murder someone who is innocent, that did not just happen. That just did not happen. That person had already thought the evil in his heart and Jesus wants to correct that. You think about how many times a person will assassinate the character of another individual. He's already committed murder in his heart, hasn't he? That's right. He was somebody who was a just man maybe a righteous man, and then somebody over here attacks that person's character. Maybe he doesn't fleshly take the person's life, but he does commit character assassination. You see, the Jews of old might say, murder is just an, over, uh, an overt act. Jesus said, murder, first of all, takes place in the heart. It takes place in the heart, first of all. Angry with his brother without cause. Jesus says that's how murderous thoughts begin. Raka, worthless one. <coughs> worthless one. How dare any of us say that one who has been created in the image of the Almighty God, our Father in heaven, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, in the sense that that person is of no value whatsoever. How dare you? Every person has a soul. Every person. And Jesus died for the souls of men, didn't he? And therefore, if one is made after the similitude of God, according to James, how can we curse that individual? That is express bitter thoughts and hatred toward that one. And then the one who would call another a fool speaks of such hatred. And Jesus says such an individual is in danger of hellfire. Now, why is, why is it such a sin to be angry with a person without just cause? Well, because that's where murderers begin. It begins... In the heart of an angry person. And Jesus said, I want you to be on guard about that. In fact, Jesus says, how can a person properly worship if that is his attitude? Therefore, in verse 23, 
If thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother had aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy guilt. So Jesus says, there's something that is so important to acceptable worship, and that is, not only must your heart be right with God, but your heart needs to be right with your fellow man. <coughs> it needs to be right with your fellow man, your brethren. I remember a woman who had stopped attending the services of the church. And she said, uh, when, she, when, when people were concerned about her, members of the church were, were concerned about her. They asked, why are you no longer faithful to the service of the church? And she said, I'll tell you why. She says, I'm harboring bitterness and resentment toward my brother-in-law who was so mean and so abusive to my sister. And she said, you know, my sister is now dead. But I despise and hate that man to whom she was married. And as long as I have those feelings in my heart, she says, I can't properly worship God. You see, she's got it right. She needs to, to move on past that bitterness and hatred, yes. But she could not just come here and be able to worship God correctly, knowing that she had that hatred and bitterness toward her brother-in-law. Her religious thinking was correct, but I believe that her heart could be softened if she would allow it to be done. I also heard of a man whose sister was murdered by her husband. And though that was very difficult for that man, the brother went and taught his brother-in-law the gospel of Christ. And he was converted. He was converted. You see, what a difference here. Where the Lord can help us. But, see, but yes, Jesus said, you be careful about your relationship with man before you come to the assembly and worship. Jesus did something else here in the Sermon on the Mount. Notice verses 27 and 28. When he went a little bit further, he defined adultery. He said, ye have heard it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Every husband, every wife has the obligation, the responsibility to be faithful to the other. No doubt about that. And yes, one could think thoughts that were not right about another whether it be someone who is not your husband, not your wife. And so the act of adultery, one may not engage. And Jesus goes on to speak more about the act of adultery in Matthew, the 19th chapter. But Jesus says, how is that all come about? How is this act to come into place? 
The thought that's evil is the mother of the deed. You see, it all began in the heart. You see. He's talking about the one who, like David of old, was on his rooftop and he beheld Bathsheba bathing. And Bathsheba was pleasing to him. He lusted after her. But you see, it didn't stop right there. It led him to desire Bathsheba. It then led him to have her to come to him and lie with him. So Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter here. And the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. You see, Bathsheba was Uriah the Hittite's wife and thus committed adultery. But then I notice also that Jesus has something to say about this matter of divorce and remarriage. Verse 31, notice. He says, It had been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Now once again, Jesus goes a little farther in his teaching, doesn't he? He established that, which was from the beginning, is how it would be. And from the very beginning, it was to be one man and one woman for life. That was his intention. And so it is when... And so it is that sometimes there is one who will violate these values and Jesus impresses upon our hearts and upon upon our minds to be careful what you think about. To be careful about thoughts that drift, that he could lead you into a situation that you will for sure later regret. And therefore, therefore, find yourself in a situation where scripturally you're not eligible to marry another. Now that was difficult teaching then. And it's very difficult teaching today. And Jesus' statement concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage reiterated in the 19th chapter of Matthew. So Jesus went a little further. He went farther than the Jewish system when it comes to keeping your word. Look at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said, that it had been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, 
neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black, but let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Jesus has in mind here the idea of one keeping his word. His promise. His word. You don't have to back it up with anything. Oh, you know, when I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I swear. You've heard that, haven't you? You probably have said it. You don't need to. You shouldn't have to. As a Christian, I should be able to back it or bank on it that it's your word. Kind of like the, the song that is, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. All right? That's what I mean. And I mean what I say. Because we know God means what he says when he says something. You know, you want to be honest. You're a follower of Christ. And therefore, you're going to keep your word. You know, the Jews had perverted the law of Moses in this area. That if they did not invoke God's name, then you did not necessarily have to keep your word. There are many people today who technically try to find a loophole when it, try, when when it comes to keeping the word. There was a time, I suppose, when two people could shake hands on a, on a matter, and that was good enough. You remember those days? Our young people don't. And especially if those two people honored what the Bible teaches when it comes to honesty and keeping one's word and telling the truth. And so it is in Colossians 3 and verse 9, it says, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. A Christian wouldn't even think about doing that. And Jesus says, I want your yea to be yea and your nay to be nay. Keep your word. That's what you do, he says, when you follow the example that I have said. But then he also went a little farther in describing how we ought to handle the problem of retaliation. Look at verse 38 of Matthew 5. You have heard that it had been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy cloak, let him have thy cloak or thy coat. Let them have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Now here again, Jesus is mindful of what anger can do, right? And oftentimes when a person is unlawfully angry, he wants to retaliate against somebody. We live in an age, I guess, when most people like to think instead of getting mad, we want to get even, don't we? I've heard it many times. I don't get mad, I get even. 
Mm, I don't know. I don't know. And usually what that means is I want to get you worse than you got me. You see. Don't get mad, get even. Well, that, that's the thinking of the world. Jesus set the right example in every area. And again, he did so in this area. And when we find our Lord Jesus Christ there in the garden, and that's where we began this message, in Matthew 26, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, he went with them. He didn't say anything that he would later regret. He did not do anything that he would later regret. As a matter of fact, we find that Peter would then try to prove himself worthy. After Jesus said, you won't stand with me, Peter said, oh yes I will. No you won't. And he thought he was doing right when he aimed for Malcolm's head and cut off his ear. And Jesus put it back on. Well, Jesus said, that's not what you were about. That's not what we're about. Standing in Pilate's hall, Jesus didn't retaliate as well. Now remember in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, these are all kingdom pointers, all pointing toward the kingdom. Matthew chapter 5 especially gives us the, the attitudes we ought to be. We call them the Beatitudes, right? In Matthew 6, he gives us the model prayer. And then Matthew 7, about judging. All pointing toward the kingdom. And I understand that God has ordained, for example, the home. He's ordained the nation and the civil government for the good of man. And we have the church of our Lord, which is the kingdom of God. And they all function somewhat differently, but all under God. And I know this, that if anyone comes in to harm my family, I'm going to defend my family. No doubt. Even in our nation, we want to protect our freedoms. And we understand that we have a civil government that we pray and trust that will protect us and protect our freedoms and protect our citizenship. But then also we understand Jesus teaching in the kingdom that there are times when it is better just to let things go. Turn the cheek, right? Don't retaliate. Jesus is saying, leave vengeance in the hand of the Lord. Let him be the one who will settle the final score. So many times, I, I'll tell you how we are just the opposite of Jesus. You let somebody speak harshly against one of us as an individual and we're ready to retaliate. And yet, people can talk about our Lord and we don't say anything. It's interesting, though, that Jesus wasn't always trying to defend himself. 
But he always jumped in for somebody else. We need to remember his approach. But then he went a little farther with regard to his attitude toward enemies. Look at verse 43, if you will. You have heard that it had been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, that is a somewhat difficult teaching right there, isn't it? Very difficult. You know what really, really hurts is us is when somebody doesn't love us or appreciate us or respect us. Filled with hate toward us. Especially if we feel we have been innocent and not harmed uh, and not harmed another. It would be hard to go through life and not have somebody to say, well, that's my enemy. But Jesus says, you love your enemies. And it's hard to love your enemies. It's hard to love the unlovely. But there again, that's how we follow the example of Jesus and why we do so. We say, well, somebody doesn't deserve that love. There may be any number of people out there that doesn't deserve your love and kindness. But neither did you nor I deserve the love and the kindness that comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are just some areas where we can be helpful or be helped. If we are going to be adherents to Christianity, if we are adherents to Christianity, we are followers of Christ, aren't we? We look to Him. Though not perfect, we understand that He helps us. He helps those who follow him. And thus he is set forth as our good example. Great example. So we will pause this morning. But we will continue our study tonight. On Christianity. The religion of the extra mile. We've looked at Matthew chapter 5 the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Christian, Christianity, the religion of the second mile, and Christianity, those who are Christians who follow Christ, who went a little further, right? They went a little farther. And I'm praying that there are those who this morning are willing to, to do that very thing as well, to go a little bit further, to recognize their need for Christ and Christianity. By believing that he is the son of the living God. By repenting of their sins. By making that good confession. And then going down into the waters of baptism. To culminate that very belief. And action. To rise to walk in newness of life. A child of God. To be able then to say. I'm ready to go the extra mile. I've went 
that far and making a change in my life. I want to go a little bit farther and help those others have a change in their life. If you're here and not a Christian, can we encourage you to become one? By those various steps that I just said that leads to Christianity, a child of God. But we know that there are some here even this morning who have done that. Who've obeyed the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but Satan has always seems to get in the way and has tempted us. And has tempted us because maybe our heart wasn't truly there with Christ. And we went back into that sin. Whatever it might be. But Jesus also says that if you will repent and pray that God will forgive you, you can have a second pardon as a child of God. We hope that you'll make that decision this morning to make things right. Whether it's to become a child of God, go the extra mile. Or to be restored back to Christianity as a child of God, then to go the extra mile as well. Can we help you? Won't you come? As together we stand and sing this song.